DJ Thomas, and you're listening to Frequency Interrupted. Jesse Strawham, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, um, look, I don't know a lot about you yet, but I want to get to know you. So um, that's what we're doing today. Um, we can just go all the way back to, you know, um, the beginning and kind of work up from there. I want to hear your story. I want to get to know you, kind of learn about you and um, let everyone listening and watching get to know you, too. So uh, my name is Jesse Strawham. I grew up in Canton, Ohio, moved to Charlotte, North Carolina when I was 16 to race four wheelers. So I raced four wheelers in a series called GNCC in the wait, woods. Wait, wait, hold on. I got to cut you off. Sorry. All right. So I used to race four wheelers. Holy shit. No way. What did you race? Uh, YFC 450. I had a Z400 Suzuki. I was Suzuki, ah. dude. And then when the Z450 come out, I got that. By the time it came out, I got out of racing. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just like couldn't believe that. I don't want to forget. You're like, wait a minute. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know anyone. It's like, who was there? Like maybe five people that were like pro four-wheeler racers that were talked about. Was it Doug Gust or is that who it was? Yeah. Yeah. The dude Doug Gust. Um, Doug Henry. Uh, he, Doug Henry is a dirt bike rider that got paralyzed. Uh, Jeremiah Jones, four wheeler racer that got paralyzed. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's really cool to, to see those guys still out there and, and, yeah. and playing and having a good time. <laughs> awesome. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just thought it was, you're it was fine. Crazy. You're was fine. <laughs> so I raced in a series called GNCC. It was woods racing, super dope. A lot of fun. Um, basically my parents moved my sister and I from Ohio to North Carolina so I could continue racing so I could live my dream. And, um, of course, you turn 18, have to do adult things, get a job. So I did all that. And then uh, 2015, I was a passenger on a motorcycle and a woman made a U-turn in front of us. So the driver didn't stop in time. He went through her back window, broke his leg. I went over her SUV, uh, back broke in two places, chest completely collapsed, ribs punctured my lungs, nicked my spinal cord. I have a traumatic brain injury and I coded twice and had to be resuscitated. So to say that I'm, I'm fortunate to be here, understatement <laughs> damn yeah that's crazy yeah so super intense what type of motorcycle were you on when this happened an r1 the best yeah. obviously i'm a yamaha girl please. hey i had a um <laughs> i had a uh bmw 1000 rr i loved it too but <sighs> no, no diss on yamaha great great stuff but no that's that's crazy so leading up to well before we even get into that let's talk about the, the this is crazy to me let's talk i didn't know i did let's talk about the four wheel <laughs> so, so how long did you do that um, oh my gosh. From 2005. And then I left in like 2009, 2010. You when you started? Um, I was 13. 13. Okay. Awesome. Mm -hmm. And what made you go into four wheel racing versus motocross? Um, so we used to drag race four wheelers. Like banshees um, and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 So yeah. we had a Z it's funny. We had a Z 400. It was lowered wheelie bar, alcohol, nice. all the things. Um, and then my YFC was also on alcohol and, uh, we raced them. Like it was cool. We did what we did. And our engine builder was like, Hey, you should try woods racing. And I was like, cool, let's do it. And so we got into it and it's, it was super rad. I started in mini quads, which was really weird. Cause I went from riding a 450 to having to ride a 90 again because of the age restrictions on the formula, yeah. you know how it has like under 16. Yes. And so you had to race. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that That's was a, a thing. thing. It's a Holy real shit. thing. Okay. Um, and so I was on mini quads, first female to podium on a mini quad, um, like first female to, um, go out there and just like get up there with the guys more than once. Super cool. My best friend Cheyenne was the first female to overall. And so like you grow up with these people and you're, you create long lasting friendships, you know? 
Um, after mini quads went into adults, I definitely had a good time there. And then I got paralyzed and I raced for Polaris for three years in a single what? seat side by side. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, who got you into like the four wheeler scene, like the, the quad scene? So I grew up riding, you know okay. how it is. Like you, we went to this campground and like there was trails. And so my parents bought us four wheelers and we started on little nineties and then I had a warrior and I told nice, him nice. <laughs> and then we got the Z 400 and then I uh, got the YFC and just rode all the time. That's crazy. That, I've, mm-hmm. I've never, like, I've never met. That's awesome. I haven't, I haven't even, I haven't even thought about that. It's been like, probably I was probably 16 the last time I met or 15. So yeah, it's been almost 20 years. <laughs> Wow! Since I've, since I've even thought about that or talked about it, but yeah, when when those when those um four fifties came out, it was amazing. You know, that four fifty R came out and the YFC and the Z, and I was like, holy shit! It changed the game for you know like four stroke quads for sure. Heck yeah, it did. I'm super. I'm talking super gearhead right now. So a lot of people listening or watching probably have no idea what we're talking about. But <laughs> in a nutshell, we're talking about full wheeler racing. You know, um, I say. um when people ask you, like, you know, people are like, oh, what's your hidden skill? I'm like, I can rebuild the top end in a single cylinder motor, replace the piston in the rings, and then put the head back on and get it all right. Yes. You, you're not a true racer if you cannot, you know, do that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, that's crazy, too, to think about. So, you were doing all that wild and crazy shit, drag racing and all that. And then something to happen that wasn't your fault to make this, you know, give you the condition you currently have and, and survive it, which is amazing too. So, I mean, let's just jump into all that. Let's talk about it. If you'd like to. I would love to, you know, it's, it's crazy. Cause when I was a kid, I grew up in Ohio. So we had snow and we would go sled riding. We had this massive hill and there was a log that was like broke down and rotted out in the middle of the hill. And I was like, Oh, let's jump that log. And my friends are like, oh, we're not going to do that. And I was like, I am. <laughs> so I jumped the log and I literally go straight out and then straight down to the Creek bed. And we, I used to videotape everything. I was preparing myself to be an influencer before I was an influencer. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> we videotaped it and I said, Oh my God, I broke my back. Obviously I didn't break my back at that time, but it was really crazy that, you know, years later, actually break my back and then get the spinal cord injury. So the day before my accident, I was saved. Um, I was an atheist up until that point. I was at a friend's grandmother's funeral. And when the pastor was speaking, I felt calmness. I just knew everything was going to be okay. I didn't know what. It was like higher powers got it under control. And then the next day I'm in my accident and I had to be resuscitated. And at some point I saw my own grandmother and she told me, Jesse May, it's not your time. You can't stay with me and I can't stay with you, but you have things to do and people get back to. And that's what's really carried me on through this, right? Is like this terrible thing happens and people always see the wheelchair. They don't see that I have to use catheters to pee now, that my bowel control is super messed up. Like there's, there's so much more secondary things that come to just walking. And so it's like, it's this whole frustrating thing too, throughout recovery of like, people are like, have you, would you got that? Have you got anything back? Are you going to walk? Are you going to walk again? What have you, have you had returned? What can you, can you feel anything? And it's like, probably not. <laughs> Please stop asking. Can't yeah. things. It's not helping. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, yeah, that's something, I mean, that's, that's crazy to think about. So like that you, you got that happened to you the day before that happened. And then it's so funny too, because I've had these conversations with people and there's, there's very few people that we run across in our lives who have actually had near death experiences. Right. Everyone almost said, Holy shit, I almost died. 
but like they've never like went out and came back. So like having this conversation with you about that's awesome because there's so many people that have so many questions about that and say, you know, oh, it's all BS. But a lot of these people haven't been through those things. When you have these conversations, people have, they, they tend to have a similar story than what you have, you know? Yeah. And I think it's really powerful too, that it, it shows how powerful our creator is. And, and that when you put your faith in, and I, I fought my faith, I'm not gonna lie. I fought this for like a good three, four years after my injury. I was like, I still didn't want to accept God into my life and, and that that was my creator. And that's who I wanted to pray to and put my faith into and everything. And so it wasn't until honestly, the lockdowns of COVID, I mentally went somewhere cousin committed suicide. I felt jealousy that she was out of pain and no longer struggling with her traumas. And when I felt jealousy that someone was dead, that's when I turned to God. I was like, I've already died. I'm clearly here for a purpose. Like I shouldn't be feeling jealousy that my cousin's no longer alive. And so I, I prayed, I prayed hard, harder than ever have. And I said, I don't know my purpose. I don't know why I'm here, but I just need you to guide me. And that's when my life really started having purpose behind it when I really actually started living this life to the fullest and being grateful for the life that I get to live. That's heavy though. So you were thinking like, so that happened to, <clears throat> that happened to them and you were jealous that they died and you didn't. Right. That they it were out because, of pain. It was it because you dealing with everything you're dealing with after the accident and just jealous that you have to live this way. Like, how does that work? You know, it, it was more that she no longer struggles, right? Like, my life okay. is really good. My paralysis isn't something that I should I should want to die for. Right. But it's like the mental things that come with it. I I and, and and it comes with life, honestly. Paralysis or not, I probably have the same mental struggles of I don't feel sexy a lot of the times. Um, I struggle with self confidence. My pain is through the roof. If I don't work out every day, I start to look floppy immediately. Like it's it's crazy how you're like I have struggles. Now that when, before I was paralyzed, I had struggles that felt just as bad as the ones I do now. So how can we, you know, compare of the pain and what we're going through to not walking to walking has nothing to do with being paralyzed. It's just the fact that I'm a human being who's struggling with life. And sometimes I just want to give up. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you think about like, these people that, you know, going through something like that, like going through what you've gone through, but also people who decide to just take their own lives at, you know, a moment's notice, you know, everyone, I guess everyone really does have a breaking point. It just depends on what you do at that breaking point. You know what I mean? Is that breaking point, you know, a point of reflection, an <laughs> aha moment, a point of giving up, you know, there's all those things that, that could happen when someone gets pushed to that point mentally. Yeah. And it's like, I just, I can never, I could, the fact that I did die and I had my, I had my opportunity, right? Like I yeah. had to be resuscitated not once, but twice. I had two opportunities to not be here today. So the fact that I'm still here, clearly there's a purpose mm-hmm. and, and that's what keeps me alive is the fact that I know there's a reason I'm still here. And I think that that's, that's what as human beings as a whole, we need hope. Like society right now needs hope. A yeah. lot of it. Well, so tell me about, I want people to get like, I want people to get the the real thickness of this. So tell me about what, what all changed for you once you, okay. So once you woke up, you're in the hospital, tell me the realization there and let's just build from that. Uh, I wake up in the hospital. I'm, I'm struggling to breathe. So the, their main thing is getting me to breathe. Right. I, I got moved to a progressive unit 
And within, it was about 12 hours, I had to be rushed back up to surgical ICU and they were intubating me while I was awake. Um, so they shoved a tube down my throat while I was completely conscious awake for it. It was probably the worst, the worst experience of hospital. I honestly felt like I was in a Saw movie was the best way to, <laughs> to even compare it to because yeah. you're getting this tube forced down your throat. So I had that for four days, completely conscious. I, it was literally like a saw device where my mouth was held open, tube coming out. And I'm just like <laughs> hanging out in, in the hospital. And then they took that out shoved a suction up my nose four times in one day and they shoved it in my nose down into my lungs to kind of get some of the debris out that didn't work. So then they put a hole in my neck and traked me. Okay. Um, I didn't realize I was paralyzed. Like the, when I first woke up, it wasn't really until a nurse, I woke up at one point and there was a nurse and she was between my legs and I didn't feel it. And I was like, Ooh, that's, that's strange. And I said, what you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'm capping you. And I'm like, why don't I just go to the bathroom? I didn't understand what was happening. Right. Like, why can't I just go to the bathroom? And she said, Oh, sweetie, you have a spinal cord injury. I'm like, yeah, why can't I just go to the bathroom though? Like I didn't, it wasn't registering that that was something that gets taken away as well. When that could get taken away. Not everyone with a spinal cord injury loses bowel bladder control, but a lot of people do. And like, even now, here we are seven years later at the time of this recording, right? And I've regained a little bit of bowel control, but it doesn't work every day. I've regained a little bit of core strength, but it doesn't work every right, day. Right. My right leg, when it wants to work, it works. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. And most of the time it doesn't. But like, you, it, there is no linear path to recovery either post-injury. And I think so many people think that that's the way the body should work. And it's not the way it does work. It's, it's highs and lows. Some days my body works great. I can get my leg braces walk a hundred feet, be good, keep walking. Other days I could barely stand up without my blood pressure tanking. And then, then what happens? And I think that in the beginning, you think so much that you're, I'm, I'm not going to live the life this way. I'm going to walk again. Everything's going to be fine. And you don't realize the complexity of the spinal cord, those nerves and the regeneration of all of that. Yeah. Well, so at what moment of First off, yeah, I mean, and that's another thing. So many, a lot of people see something like that, and they see these miracle stories of people do regain their their um, ability to walk, stand up, lift their kids, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but then everyone thinks like that. I feel like they talk about that, like you said, like they think that it's all the same. Like, no, it's. I mean, one minute difference in every single person makes an entire difference in the whole body. You know, the way the way the impact was the way, whatever surgeries you had, you know, all those complications afterwards. So what, what operations, what did they have to do once you went in? So they fused my spine from essentially the top to the bottom. So initially I was fused from my thoracic spine at level T2 down to my lumbar spine at L2. So it was literally, there's 12 levels in the thoracic spine plus those extra two. So I basically had 12 levels of cut my spinal cord. They irrigated it out and they put this small device in it called a neuro scaffold. And the idea is to reconnect the disconnect. Um, so I never met any of the markers in the clinical trial, but that was the, the only surgery I had in the beginning besides the trach and being bronched and intubated. Okay. But then... I had to have a revision surgery on my hardware, my back three years into my injury. Cause I broke the, the titanium hardware. Damn. How'd you do that? <laughs> um, 
doing something you weren't supposed to do? <laughs> no, my my surgeon said it's because I'm more active than people that aren't paralyzed. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it is I what mean, it that's, is. That's that's a good thing. I feel like it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so after okay, so tell me, walk me through this. So after you um get out of what's the mindset once you realize, okay, you're paralyzed, you cannot move anything and you don't have control or feeling down there. Um, what's the next step there? Like, um, you know, from realizing that dealing with that and then getting, changing your entire lifestyle, going into a wheelchair, like, how does that work? Let me get back to you on that, you know, cause we're still working on it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong journey, right? Like, right. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot better off than I am now, but the, the first thing is going to inpatient rehab, learning how to just basics of taking care of yourself. But the biggest disconnect between home and rehab is that that hope that it's going to be okay. So I posted in a Facebook support group. I literally looked for a spinal cord injury support group, posted in there. I'm like, Hey, I'm a T4 paraplegic. What's my life going to look like? And these people just commented so many activities and, and things that they had done. And I was like, Oh, all hope isn't lost. Cool. Yeah. And then I also had the players deal before I was even out of the hospital and so I knew I was going right back to racing, which that was, I think that's one of the greatest things that have ever happened to me because although I didn't enjoy it the way I did before, yeah. I definitely was able to transition to this life a lot easier. So then about uh, two years into my injury, I started doing adaptive sports. And then I saw really what the community was like, what this life had to offer, everything I could do. Mm. And I competed in pretty much anything I could. Um, landed on wheelchair curling. I was on the Paralympic developmental team for that for about three years, I believe three nice. seasons. Okay. Um, yeah. And then left to pursue my degree. Uh, I finished my associate's degree working on my personal training certification. And then we launched the wheel with me fitness app. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, do you think that you being active, um, like being active before, do you think that that helped your transition mentally and physically more than it was oh, one who wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think being active before and uh, honestly, just my support system, I have, I've had massive family support. Um, and although most of my friends were males, when I peed myself and needed my wet pull out, pull up, pulled out from under me, like my guy, best friend, Cody, he would literally, he'd grab it, not even think twice about it. And so when he had his baby, I was like, man, I've been training you for years. <laughs> um, but it was really cool because I had that support. I had non-judgmental friends. I had a family that went above and beyond to make sure I was taken care of. And I think that's what led to my success today is the fact I had support. And then I, I wasn't scared to take risks. Like when you get out of the hospital, they give you this slide board to get, to transfer yourself from point A to point B. And I was without it within a first month yeah. and I was like, I'd fall on the floor. Don't get me wrong. But then at least I took the risk and eventually I stopped falling. And so I think that we get so caught up and fearful of the struggle and what could go wrong that we don't take the risk of what could go right. Yeah. Well, you think like, yeah, that, that's why I asked that because I feel like that if something detrimental like this happened to someone um, who may not be as active and, and maybe doesn't have that support group or anything like that, you know, moving on from there makes it, I would say, say so much harder. You know what I mean? Like yes. you have, do you have conversations with people? I'm sure you do, but like, what are your conversations with people? Like if this happens to them, like, and you know, like, you know, what do y'all talk about? Like, how does that work? <laughs> 
So the first thing I tell them is that their current ability is not there forever as long as they're consistent in their efforts to improve it. Because they're not going to get better if they don't try, but they can get better if they put the effort forth. And that's as far as learning how to transfer, cast, shower, get dressed. Like, I think we, we lose sight of how much truly is taken away. Like, yeah, I use a wheelchair now, but in the beginning, like you literally have to learn how to put pants on, how to catheterize yourself, how to manage your bowels, how to do laundry and housework and get through your house and cook from a, from a seated position. Um, how to get in and out of bed, in and out of the car, getting your chair in and out of the car. Like there's so many steps and layers that I feel like it really takes a solid two years of consistent effort to be strong enough and confident enough to be like fully independent, good to go. Yeah, I think that's, a, it, it's just like, you have to have that support. And then obviously I offer them, I'm like, Hey, I have an, an app for wheelchair users, we offer fitness and mobility. And like, if you don't have someone to transfer you out of bed, we have bed workouts in there. Like, and on top of that, we have a private Facebook group. And in that private Facebook group, we have two group calls a week where we talk about mindset and growth and and how to develop and become who we want to become. And I think that's where it, it goes to is this community needs to uplift one another rather than bitching about what we don't have or what our life lacks or how society's out to get us. Yeah. And that's what really, that's the big <clears throat> disconnect with thriving with a disability or being miserable in your circumstances is the ones that thrive don't get so hung up on how society is slighting them all the time. Whereas the ones that seem to be miserable and not getting to where they want to be, they're constantly slighted by society. They're constantly in distress. And that's how I lived. I was that way in the beginning. I lived that life of the society is out to get me. Society doesn't want me to be independent. And I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's up to me to do what I can and fight for those rights. Because if I don't rise up, if I don't make the effort as a disabled person, nobody's going to come save me. Nobody knows what this life is like unless they live in it. So how could I expect somebody else to rise up and do what I need done to help me get the accessibility or inclusivity that I need? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I went on a rant. Sorry. No, that's, no, that's great. That's awesome. Those are going to be make, those are going to go for great reels right there. <laughs> no, that, no, that, no, but no, straight up. That's awesome because <clears throat> I'm glad that you guys have that because I feel like that, yeah, there's these, you know, there may be this, this step-to-step guide on here. This is what you should do after this happens to you, but you guys are actually interacting with each other and building each other up and saying, Hey, maybe I had a shitty day. Let's call each other out. And we still got, we're in this together. You know what I mean? That's super important to have community. Like, because everyone, like there's so many communities out there, but like we always think of everything from a broad perspective. Like what's the biggest thing you took for granted, you think, before this happened? <laughs> Sorry, I like to How get you- I, like I know I, there's, I took my entire life for granted. Yeah. Um, I think the convenience of, of being able to pick up and go anywhere with no limitations, not having to worry about, is there, is there going to be a way for me to cath? Um, because if I don't stick to my cath schedule, then I pee myself. I have a neurogenic bladder, which means spastic bladder. So like, I have to constantly be thinking about bathroom situations. I have to constantly think about, do I have my medical supplies? Um, and do I have time to stretch and make sure my body's good? Like there's just so, there's so much steps and, and, and and I don't want to make disability sound bad because it's not bad. Like with anything in life, you have it. And I don't want to discourage anyone from getting with somebody with a disability or anything like that. But like, there are more steps, there are more struggles and there's, 
it, the mental battle is a lot different these days. Like I, I question myself a lot of, is my disability holding me back or is it me holding me back? Can I give a little more or is my disability maxed out? Like, cause there is, there is this like really, really shaky ground of like this fine line of, is it my disability or is it my mindset and yeah. which one is being weak right now? Because the disability can hold me back all day. There are moments where it's like, I'm in too much pain or my body's just spastic or I'm just can't do it. But there's also times where it's also in my head. So it's a constant mental battle. And I think that's the biggest thing that people don't realize. Again, so many people focus on what they can see that external, but the internal of having a disability living in a society that's not excessive, that's not really inclusive and trying to overcome those barriers on top of your physical barriers. Like I get out of bed in the morning. I think that's the biggest thing I took for granted getting out of bed and just being able to hop out of bed. Now, you know, I have to lift my legs. I take off. I actually wear these shorts that shock my legs when I sleep. It's called axiobonics verbal therapy help to improve circulation, muscle mass, all of that. Um, so I sleep in them. So first I take those off, then I grab my legs and I have to pull them and put them over the side of the bed, transfer to my wheelchair, put my axiobotics away, make my bed and then go on rather than before I could just pop up, make my bed and move on with my day. There's so many steps to everything now. And I think that that's the biggest thing I took for granted for sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's huge because there's so many people that complain about the smallest things in life. Right. And so my first like reaction to that is okay. When half of your capabilities are stripped away, you know what I mean? Not, not technically because you're doing so much more, but I'm saying, you know, in a nutshell, like, holy shit, you know, it, I feel like that brings a lot to light. You know what I mean? Well, it also, it made me pay attention to where I waste time and how I spend my time. And on the flip side of that, I can see there's so many non-disabled people that waste time and then talk about how they have none. Oh, or the the people that say they're bored all the time too. Like how? (laughs) And I'm like, can I have some of that bored time? Because the things I could create with all of this extra time you have. Yeah. Like... (laughs) No, but you I can only it. imagine if you're living, you know, you're still living a normal life and, and you have all these things thrown into it that use, uses up so much more time than a normal schedule would, then you have to become efficient in time management. During the lockdowns, I was able to see how much time in my day I spend just being disabled between transfers, taking a shower, getting dressed, going to the bathroom, any getting things up and down my lift. Um, anything that required me to be disabled, taking my chair apart to get in the car, I timed it and I spend depending on if it's hair wash day or not. Um, and some other factors, I spend between two to three hours being paralyzed every day. You know what just gave me chill bumps. I used to say, like, I say this shit to people because like, it's just one of those things when people were crying or whatever, bitching about something. It's like one of those hard in the fuck up situations that we all have the same amount of time in the day, but just when you said that makes me realize that we don't, you know what I mean? That's a lot of time. Yeah. That's a lot of time. Yeah. yeah. And it's valuable time. And I'm just like, and the, that, so where I am now compared to seven and a half years ago, like when I first got paralyzed, I was nothing like the woman I am now. I, I have so much focus and tension and purpose in my days now 
And and it's because I I figured out what my goals are and I really figured out where I want to go in life. Right. And that time, time is our most valuable currency, which is underrated. And so many people waste it, whether it's scrolling TikTok, we're talking about how bored they are binging this next series or whatever. And I think that people waste a lot of time and say they have none. And so for me, I, I can't even afford to waste time. Because I already am losing two to three hours of my day that I have no control over. Yeah. And that's time I can't get back on my whole grand scheme of life. And I think I think one of the my favorite thing about about my mindset is I think in terms of like 10 years. I'm I'm constantly thinking of like 10 years from now, where do I want to be? What do I want to accomplish? And that's what drives my actions today. Because if I'm not acting on the person that I want to be in 10 years. If I'm not acting like that person now and having those habits now, I will never become that person. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. And I'm a, the, the thing that like, just, just realizing that is the biggest thing, right? Like taking, like, I feel like having this conversation with someone else would, wouldn't be that they wouldn't be talking about, well, I'm still trying to be efficient here and do this, but I also have to have to realize that I can't do this. You know, this many hours are gone now. Like, that's a huge thing just to realize all those things and point them out and then move on from there and build on it. You know what I mean? It's that, it's that level of self-awareness. It was really funny. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. Um, I, I struggle to turn off work. That's one of my biggest struggles. I'm constantly working is because I dicked off my early twenties, right? I got yeah. paralyzed and I was like, let's party. I'm invincible. Let's okay. go. Okay. <laughs> And well, because in, in reality, you, when I'm not going to lie, when you die and you make it through, you feel invincible for a hot yeah. second. Um, and then when I broke my hardware and had to get surgery, I was brought back down to earth. And, um, so I, I, when I quit drinking and everything, I still wasn't, I didn't live with purpose and intent. So now I'm in this place where my favorite person to spend time with is myself in silence. Like I'm good. I ride, I drive in the car in silence. Even when my friends are in the car, they're like, can we please put music on? And I'm like, Oh, sorry. I'm just so, I'm so used to it. And like, I really enjoy my company because I constantly am getting to know me on a deeper level. I'm getting to know where I want to go, what I really want, what my passions are, why I see the world the way I see it. And when you have that deep level of understanding of yourself, then you're able to serve your purpose and serve others and pour that into others and help them see the same. Because so often we get caught up in our day-to-day and all these responsibilities and everything pulling us around that we fail to recognize the one person that's doing everything, and that's ourselves. Yeah. We fail to recognize what they need, where their mindset's at, what, what, what we really want out of life. And we constantly are just doing these things that we think are right, when in reality, we have no fucking clue who we are or what we want. Yeah. Well, and that's... It's funny. You just said that too. Like you, you enjoy spending time with yourself. So many people are scared shitless to spend time with themselves. I would say 90% of society. Yeah. It scares the shit out of them. Anxiety from being, we saw that in COVID, right? When everyone were on lockdown, everyone was freaking the fuck out. That was a great time to find yourself. Like that's this podcast. I feel like erupted during COVID because I started doing like zoom shows. Like I have a studio here, but I know, that you can't get to the studio easily. I'm, I'm a good ways away from you. So let's connect this way and double down on it. You know what I mean? And get, get through this shit together, but like, and getting these you know, stories out, like what you have and your other things, but like people being by themselves in their own thoughts is the scariest shit ever to most of them. Yeah. You know, like from their imagination to the negativity pouring down to the depression, to the, you know, insecurities. Like, so that's, I feel like once you can get past that part, 
you know, the hard part at the beginning and then double down on it and say, okay, this is actually a great time to hang out, you know, and, and, you know, use this time to build on it, you know? That's the thing when you get past the uncomfortableness of it, because it is uncomfortable as hell to just be like in your own head, thinking about what you've done in the past, trying to think about your regrets, where you want to go and how you're going to get there and the fear. And that's, that's the biggest thing about having that level of self-awareness is you shut that fear down every time that fear is, it doesn't have shit on you anymore. It's, it's, it's nothing that's like, all right, you, that fear turns into like your driving force of, for example, when someone tries to tell you, you're not going to accomplish something, that's how your own fear will turn into. If you have that level of self-awareness to know you're doing the actions every day to get you to where you want to be. You're showing up in the best way that you can. You're taking care of your mental health. And with, that's the thing we've got to take care of our mental health. Like my morning routine, everything for me to be able to show up for anyone else. Well, what's your morning routine? Let's talk about it. Um, so I read the daily stoic. Okay. I journal on the daily stoic. I read a devotion and then I read 10 pages of a nonfiction personal development book. Right now I'm reading the power of one more by Ed Milet. Awesome. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mine's completely different. I just get up and try to give myself 10 minutes of silence before I wake oh. the house, before I wake the house up. You know what I mean? Just 10 yeah. minutes of no thoughts, no schedule. No, nothing. And then, okay, let's get this, let's get this party going. You know what I mean? But like everyone, everyone needs that no matter what it is. And I mm-hmm. feel like, um, the reading before you go to bed thing doesn't do it. I mean, I f- okay. So there's always a transition, right? Of your crazy ass day, no matter who you are, everyone's day, if they're active in the economy, you know, as a consumer has a hectic day and there's a wind down at some point before they go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And, th- and then, but the the fact of the matter is it's a lot it's a lot harder to I feel like to consume vibes, you know what I mean, whatever type they may be at that point, whenever you're just like, I'm done. Whereas, yeah. whereas when you're fresh, as soon as you wake up before it's like I don't remember, I, I I read this a long time ago, but I believe it's like the CEO of Starbucks or some shit. I don't know, it was years ago. Um, that this gentleman got up like an hour before the entire house and decided to be proactive before his mind become re became reactive because the work the worst thing we do as soon as we get out of bed is pick this thing up yep. oh shit do i have any comments oh shit do i have any likes do i have any emails do i have any text messages you know and that be- we become immediately reactive and when we become immediately reactive then we're that way the rest of the day you know what i mean there's no going back so if you can jump up fresh and be proactive for yourself at the you know the start of the day Take whatever, however long it takes, five minutes, one minute, an hour, and then transfer. You know what I mean? I do know because I was talking to someone earlier this year and he made a good point of we are a accumulation of our environment yeah, or a product of our environment. So all of the consumption that we take in, we become a product of that. So if you start your day and you're scrolling your social feed and it's just negativity, negativity, yeah. what do you, what do you yeah. become? Right. Yeah. I think the the most powerful thing that I do about 15 to 30 minutes before I go to bed, I want to make it a lot more time. I put my phone in the bathroom and I leave it there and I just don't touch it. Good. So I, I, I try not to look at my phone at all. I, I bought an alarm clock, so I don't even use that as an alarm anymore. So that way in the morning, my phone's not even near me. I don't even think about it. And I just, I'm like standing frame, got to do my reading. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, 
an amazing point. I mean, that's a really good activity to have. You know what I mean? That's awesome because like we use this device for everything in our life. I mean, it's become a, a piece of where it's like AI technology. It's a piece of us now. You know what I mean? It's a supercomputer to attached to our fucking hip and we, we let it, we let it delegate our existence. I mean, we really do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I can, I, I'm like, I have to, before I go to bed, I have to like watch something to my brain shuts off. Like that's me. Like I'll put some senseless, senseless shit on or like a documentary or something. And eventually I'll just fade out because if not, I'm just like, you know, it's still going. It's hard to shut it off unless I'm just, I understand that. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> let's, we talk about all this mental shit. Let's get into the physical stuff. So you, you're, uh, you're still all in the mix of doing all the things like you're, uh, tell me about that. You do some CrossFit. I've seen you do some, uh, tough mutters. Yeah. Like that. So let's talk about that. So I'm a tough mutter athlete. Probably my favorite thing I get to do. Um, I've done worlds three times, which is their 24 hour events. I've done six toughest, which is their overnight event. I have three Holy grails or two Holy grails now. Yeah. Two where, um, it's like you do a timed event and overnight event in worlds. Uh, tough mutter is my jam. I'm prepping for worlds this year. Awesome. Super excited. It's actually down, down there near you. I, th- I believe it's in Alabama. Really? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm super, super excited. It's probably my favorite thing because I mean, it goes back to the mental grit, right? Like, you're cold. It's two o'clock, three yeah. o'clock in the morning. It's just you, your headlamp. And, and for me, my team, and we're just all in this place. Like we're quiet as we can get. And it, it's, it, we go somewhere, right? Like you just check out for a minute and it's, it's so powerful to overcome that, that voice in your head that wants to quit. And, and that tells you, you can't do it. And I, I think that that's probably my favorite thing and just empowering the other runners and just, you know, giving up my independence to a team of people that are helping me through the course. I think there's so many pieces of that, but then CrossFit as well. Like I competed in my first wheelchair games this year. Awesome. Um, tied for fifth, really happy with that finish. The weights were intimidating. I PR'd like five of the six workouts. It was definitely a super, nice. super cool experience. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. I, uh, I was, it's funny. I was supposed to do a tough mutter probably five or six years ago. It's probably, no, it's like 2016, I believe. Um, I was supposed to do a tough mutter. I was signed up for it. The same night we had UFC, which was a title match. Daniel Cormier, who's from here, was fighting Alexander Gustafson for the title. And so I know Daniel, he's from here. So I was like, well, we got to go see that. So I bought tickets and I did the Tough Mudder. I was like, okay, we'll start in Dallas at Tough Mudder. As soon as we get home with Tough Mudder, we're going to drive straight down to Houston and then make the UFC. And then we got there the night before and I start talking to all the competitors. And they're like, dude, there's no way you can do this race and go to the UFC. <laughs> And I was like, well, shit. So I hung out with all of them and I got the next morning and I was like, damn it. I was so mad because I couldn't like I couldn't miss that fight. You know, so I still have yet to do one. But me and my wife are big into comp now. So I'm like, OK, we definitely want to do a Spartan together. We definitely want to do a Tough Mudder together. Um, we just did a, a competition a few months ago. That was awesome. That was my first CrossFit competition because I came from like doing mixed martial arts, the MMA world and then lifting weights. It's kind of like a just a, you know. Neanderthal, and then I got into this CrossFit thing, and it is no fucking joke. It's fun. What you what you said, what you said about mental, like I don't care what the physical what physical capabilities you have, if you do not have it up here for, uh, especially the competitions you're talking about in the Tough Mudder or any crazy CrossFit comp or like in these overnight comps, twenty four hour comps, like if you don't have the, the it here in the in your head, there's no way. I don't care how good a shape you're in, you're gonna make it. There's no way. No way at all. You're like, it's, and that's, I think that's the thing 
it goes back to life too, though, on that aspect of like, if you aren't mentally sound up here, your life isn't going to be that great. Like typically you struggle, you constantly have health issues. Oh, woe is me. You're in this negative mind space. And I think that just working on your mental stamina as a whole, like we constantly talk about fitness and working out. Right. But like, what about working out your brain? Yeah. I think it needs some positive and I think it needs some kicks in the ass too. You know what I mean? Definitely. I think Emphasis on the it. kicks in the like, ass. Yeah. No. Here's the thing. Here's the thing you hear all the time. Oh, take in all this. Oh, it's great. Do this. Listen to this, you know, but you got to get some, you got to have some call yourself out shit too. You got to have someone yeah. to check. You got to have someone to check you or you got to check yourself or you got to compare situations. You got to, you got to have some awareness there too. You know what I mean? I think we just need more self-awareness as a society yeah. and, and more honesty with ourselves. We've been coddled for so long to oh, yeah, see we're the world. Made. We're bitch made. <laughs> yeah, facts. And it's like, we need to honestly grow a vagina because vaginas are tougher than balls. And <laughs> they, they really are, though. And they really are. And we need to grow a vagina and take the damn pounding that life is giving us and then go ahead and go back to the shape we were and keep on moving forward. And yeah. that's the truth. Like, we are so sensitive and offended over everything. For what? For what? To get ourselves worked up and be miserable? Yeah. I don't want to live life that way. I refuse. No, there's so many, there's so many issues now. Oh, don't <laughs> call me this. Oh, don't say this to that person. I'm like, look, man, everybody's got their own shit. Like just harden the fuck up and do what you're supposed to do and enjoy life. You know what I mean? Like you do good shit, good shit happens. You do bad shit, bad shit happens. I mean, it's all right. it boils down to. I mean, whether we're talking about society, religion, or anything, it's all it boils down to. I think that we just need to help each other more genuinely help each other and, and stop worrying about what's in it for me and yeah. just be like, let me just help my fellow human. Yeah. Well, tell me about this nonprofit. Wheel with me foundation. Yes. Let's talk about it. So my nonprofit wheel with me foundation was established in 2016. Um, we are in the process of getting our 501 C three to be recognized by the IRS. But Right now, we serve the independence of wheelchair users through community meetups, and we have empowerment weeks completely free where other members of the community teach their skill or trade to our clients and then, you know, get get the word of mouth out there of like, hey, um, sex and disability, mental growth, how to be an advocate, how to be an actor, how to uh, go back to work, how to build a resume. Like we're trying to give members of the community real tools to help them achieve long-term independence, not just a little fluff of happiness here. Yeah. That's why well, I'm glad you said it like that too. I like the way that's put. So like <laughs> what, what brought this out? Like what brought this thing together? How did this come about? When I was in inpatient rehabilitation, there was this gentleman, uh, Chris, and Chris was 50 at the time. We both, he was uh, in a car accident, obviously me in the motorcycle accident. And we got discharged from inpatient rehab at the same time. And I went to live life. He went to a nursing home because he had nowhere accessible to go. And he still lives in that nursing home. And now he's become dependent on the system. And it really sucks to see someone that I care about um, be stuck and trapped in this situation. And it's like individuals need, again, hope. They need to realize that they are capable of more than they believe. They are capable of getting off of government assistance, going back to work, living a full life, buying a home, you know, that that's the things that disabled people think that they're never going to accomplish. And I'm, I'm one of them. I never thought I'd be able to buy a home. And here I am back at work full time working to buy a home. Like, yeah, I think that that's just giving people that hope and that support from other people that look like them. That's why visualization in, in society is, is huge. Like we need to see people that look like us doing things. 
That's why I started acting. That's why I started doing commercials. Like, yeah, it's uh, again, it's up to us to go out and create that change. It's up to us to go out and do it. Nobody's just going to be like, here you go. Here's your place in society. Here you go. Here's the change that you want. Unless you open your mouth. What is it? Closed mouths don't get fed. That's literally what it comes down to. It's up to us to create the change for us. Because again, nobody that's walking understands what we're going through until they go through it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, I like that's it's crazy that you said a few things. Like, first off, <clears throat> when someone gets disabled, not having the ability to, you know, transition. Like, that's something that's not talked about. Like, I always like talking about things that are not talked about or learning shit that I didn't know. Like, this is important to me because now I can talk about it. You know what I mean? I had we never had this conversation. I had no clue about any of these things because I really didn't. You know, of course, I've you know had conversations with people who've been paralyzed or whatever, whatever it may be. But I haven't had these conversations in depth of, well, you got to do this. You need to talk about this. You know, so like people that something happens to them and they have to go to like, basically, like you said, like work the system. And there may be not be a, an independent enough to go, you know, do what you're doing. Or the biggest thing I think is they don't have the support group. That's the biggest, key. that's yeah. the biggest missing factor is, is that support. And so we'll me foundation's biggest goal. As far as we have branches on what we do in my branch, I want to build a transitional community for wheelchair users. So essentially wheelchair users would go live in this community and be taught how to be wheelchair users by wheelchair users. Like you mm-hmm. fall out of your chair cool. We learned to do it together. Will this be, so, this is the first of its kind thing. Um, there's things that are similar, but okay. yeah, but not to the magnitude of what you you're doing. Right. I would like to have them uh, globally. What do you need to do? What do you need to develop your first one? Like, what are your I goals? Where are you at? Finish, I need to finish these 501 C3. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, and then just donations. We have to raise the funds. It's probably going to be at least five to 10 million okay. is, is the, and that was pre pandemic, uh, rough estimate. So obviously now with inflation and how crazy. Yeah. Our, uh, Boston, yeah. Well, so I mean, where's this going to be at? Where, where are you at currently? First one in Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, North yeah. Carolina. okay. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's going to be huge. I think you got it. I think you got it. Get your paperwork done and start, start doing your grind. You know what I mean? Hey, we got the app out there. That was something that I was told was impossible for a long time. So why, is that? I, why, why were you told that? Um, they said it was too hard to build an app. So I started okay. with me fitness in 2017 as just a Facebook support group. And I'm like, I really want to build an app for wheelchair users. There's nothing out there like it. Like I really want to do this. And I was told it was impossible, impossible. And then last year I kept getting this email from this individual named Sonny and he kept saying, talk to me about building you an app. Talk to me about that. And I'm like, I just kept deleting it. I was like, this yeah. is spam. Um, and finally, I, I had my team members get on a call with them. And they're like, no, you need to talk to this man. So I talked to him and um, we built an app. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, there's so much that goes into that. I mean, I can see where someone may tell you that. I've been part of a lot of app development jobs. And they're, they're extremely, they're big. <laughs> and there's a lot of yeah. parts. But if you have someone who knows what they're doing, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, knowing the functionality of what you want and then, tra- you know, basically getting them to do it, you know, and do it the right way. That's, that's awesome. So let's do some plugs here. Let's do some plugs. So let's shout out to how do people find this app if they are wheelchair, you know, or they, or something they're wheelchair bound or, you know, they may have or ability or whatever. El- yeah. Elderly people could use it as well. Like, okay. you know, anyone that has mobility issues and has to be seated a lot, this app is perfect for you. 
It is called Wheel With Me Fitness, and you can search it in your Google Play Store or Apple App Store. Uh, We also have the private Facebook page, Wheel With Me Fitness. You can get us there. We are are on Instagram as well. Um, You can find Wheel With Me Foundation at Wheel With Me on all platforms. And you can find me at Jesse Strawham. Looks like Stratchum, but it's at Jesse Strawham on all platforms. Awesome. Well, look, we covered a lot today. I definitely want to have you back on soon and kind of, you know, get the, you know, update on what's going on with the nonprofit and everything and what you're doing because you seem to be busier than I am. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. It was nice to meet you. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me and for reaching out. And, you know, it was really cool to meet you. I love that you knew nothing about me. So it was the first time I ever got to do anything like this. Yeah. And um, y'all, if you gained value from today's episode, you heard something that someone, it could resonate with someone else, please share this with them directly. Um, Obviously, sharing on your page is great. But when you share it with someone directly, they're more prone to listen to it, which helps grow the show. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's a good point. Yeah. If you have a, a say, hey, I got this out of this please watch this. That's a lot more powerful than just sharing it to your page. So yes, thank you so much. Absolutely. Awesome.